telling you, that, that sea, that Red Sea theme just kind of keeps, keeps coming. And like our sister said, we have to push forward. So now we're into what I'm calling the Omer journey. We're into this spot, right? We're through the Red Sea. We're in the journey to the mountain, to Mount Sinai. And we talk a lot about, in Scripture, right, the 40 years in the wilderness, right? The 40 years in the wilderness, the 40 years in the wilderness. That was, that did happen, but was that plan A? Why were we 40 years in the wilderness? Right? That we listened to the 10 and we didn't listen to the 2. And so the 40 years, though that is a pattern for sure, is actually a period of rebellion or the consequences of rebellion, right? But what we're going into is something different. Instead of 40 years, we're talking about 50 days. So 50 days versus 40 years. 50 days, what does the 50 remind us of? Jubilee, Jubilee right? The Yovel. So what is Yovel? What, is a, what are we looking forward to on a Yovel? Release. Freedom, everything going back to way it, the way it was supposed to be. And so every 50 years, most people are only going to see one jubilee in their lifetimes. And some may not even see a, a jubilee in their lifetimes. Okay, so that's a long pattern to look forward to. But the Father has encoded every single year a mini jubilee kind of a pattern that we can experience that gets us prepared. And that's what this is about. So Jubilee, or the 50, is a combination of seven sevens, right? We're counting up because we are to count what? The days and the weeks. So the weeks are representative of the, the actual seven-day periods, the seven sevens, and we're counting the individual days as well. And then we always add one after that, and that ends with our 50. So the Father has a pattern. And if we look at that, going all the way back to the Pesach, where we started, it starts off with redemption. What are we redeemed from? Slavery. There's, some, some, there's a bondage. There's something that has control over you. And it's not Him. It's not our Father. It's not Yeshua. It is something... It's, it's Hasatan, it's the enemy, it's Pharaoh, there's all these patterns, right? The pattern in Revelation is that is the dragon, right? The, the, the big guy. And then he's got his beast that comes down there. But that, there are things that have us, and we're, we were in slavery to the sin. We were in slavery to all that. And then the Father, by the blood of Yeshua, by the perfect Pesach lamb, that blood applied to the doorpost and the lintel of our hearts individually and corporately as a community that we practice year after year brings that deliverance. 
or brings redemption, sorry. Redemption. Because we were redeemed with a price. And that price was high for our Heavenly Father. And we should never, never take it lightly. So after that, what's the next step? If we've had redeemed, we were redeemed, we were set free. We just covered it yesterday. What was it? The Red Sea. It was crossing the sea. Was that a comfortable journey? No, not at all. Would I be scared and fretting and probably saying, what are we doing here? Yeah, probably. But the Father made a way. He puts us through the Red Sea, that pattern again, right? We have to get to the other side. And then when you're on the other side, just like when we did that, that little, uh, the last song we did when Arnold was Moses and lift up his thing and the sea collapsed. And that's what I kept seeing yesterday of my little testimony thing was I kept seeing the sea collapsing back. What does that represent? Deliverance. Because those enemies that are still back there, that are causing you fear, that are still in the back of your mind, are washed away. And there's a calmness after that. But there's another piece And a reason that we have to be fully committed. Going back to that sea. If you were an Israelite, if you were one of those that were walking with the group. And you still weren't 100% committed to go forward into a place you don't know. Freedom is scary. And that's what we have to grasp. Freedom is not going to be comfortable. The, the founding fathers that came over to the new, the new world. This was a, a form of freedom to get away from the oppression overseas. They went to a rugged, bare, wild, a lot of starvation, a lot of really hard times that was not comfortable. True freedom is not an easy life. It's a good life. It's the life that the Father desires for us. It really desires... Because it takes us out of our comfort zone and makes us trust in Him, not in me. I want to sit there. I want to be in full control. I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know that I can control this portion, that portion, move everything around. And that way, I'm comfortable that everything's taken care of. That's not faith. Okay, that's walking by my flesh, which I do way too much. So, the deliverance... That going back to that Israelite mindset. So you're there, and maybe you're not fully sold. You're wondering, did we make the right move? Should we go, should we go back to Egypt? Once that sea closed, how are you going to get back there? He just cut off your route. So we need to be 100% sold out. Or sold into what he's doing and be part of the group so that we can cross and we can continue on our journey. Now, we all know the story. I'll go through a, a couple of the items, but it wasn't just a smooth sailing trip even to get to Mount Sinai. That 50 days had some, some troubles, right? It's that, once again, being free isn't, be, isn't easy. 
But let's talk about something. Something that happened this time of the Omer, this journey of the Omer, is a time of testing, training, and refining. When we get to Sinai, there's a time of sealing. Once the Father has brought you out, He's delivered you from your bondage so you can walk as free people. He's brought you through the sea. He's destroyed your enemies. He has tested and refined and trained you to the point to where you can receive his covenant. You can receive that Torah that he's about to give you from the mountain. Once you receive that and you say, all that you say, we will do. All that you say and all that we hear, we will do. We will shema. At that point, we become sealed. And that sealed people who has been tested and true and have accepted the covenant are now open to do what? To enter the promised land. To go back to the garden that we've talked about. So let's go back to the garden. Genesis 2, the original garden. What was in the garden? Besides the man, so we got we got Adam and Eve, or Adam and Chava. I might throw through rather Chava, Chava, and they were placed in the garden, and they have all the trees they can eat. They can eat of everything of the field. Everything is in abundance, and there is a there's two trees. There's one tree of life. And what are we supposed to, in the garden, what are we supposed to do with the tree of life? Eat of it. That is our nourishment. That is the primary nourishment. What's the other tree? The internet was there, wasn't it? (laughs) The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I say that, uh, the sister was sharing with me earlier that uh, they cut social media off in their household and they said everything changed. So that might be the hint. If things aren't going so well in your household, maybe it's what we're letting in. Like I said, there can be a lot of things that are good and healthy, but it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't only filter out just the good. And even the things that are good don't always have us focused on the right things because the good sometimes has us focused on the problems of the world, not the solution. The solution is him. The solution is trying to to get into what he's doing. So, where's the other garden in Scripture? We just talked about, you know, back in Genesis 2. Where's the other garden? Revelation 22, right? We're going back to the garden. That's that recreation of the garden. What is in that garden? The tree of life. Was the tree of life in Genesis 2? Yeah. What is not in Revelation 22? The tree of the knowledge, the internet's gone. 
The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not in there. Why? You don't need it, right? Well, why did you need it in Genesis 2? Actually, you did. Because nothing gets to be in eternity with our Heavenly Father without being tested. Adam and Eve never went through a test. They were created, and right after they were created, it was a Shabbat there in the garden. They didn't have a test. That was their test, is that tree, that one tree. After that, we are all tested right here, right now. We are going through that testing. And we have to be shown worthy. We have to be ready to be sealed, to stand at that mountain and say, all that you say, we will do. And then we will be put into a garden that does not have a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the wilderness journey that they had, the Omer journey. A quick recap. The first thing after the sea. So the sea collapses. Pharaoh's destroyed. Is the, all those woes are gone. There's rejoicing. There's dancing. There's singing. Right? But eventually the party has to stop. And we have to get on about the business. Right? The father starts moving them. Three days. What do we know about three days? What's three? It's resurrection, but it also is a time, it's a change. Remember? On the third day, after, the, after two days, you know, a lot of different, lot of different ways that they, through Scripture talks about something is fixing to change. Well, they're in the wilderness of Shur for three days. And what happens? What do they come about? Who remembers? Anybody from, uh... yeah, Mara, Bitter Waters. First thing they do is they're thirsty, they've run out of their water supply, and the water there is unfit to drink. So, the scripture says, this is Exodus 15, 24 through 26, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to yod and yod showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There Yodhevav made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yodhevav your Elohim, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yodhevav your healer. And the people said, Amen. So they made it through the path. They made it through this test. The next, first test, next stop, does anybody remember? It's a place called Elim. And what was, yeah, it was exactly, it was the, the place of 12 springs of water. Right? With the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 
springs of water and the 70 palm trees representing the nations. That sounds like a great place to be. And that's all that's written in Scripture is just that. They went there and this was what was there. I'm thinking that was a great place. So where was the test? What was the test there? You had to leave. Even though we get to a part on our journey that's comfortable, we think, all right, oh, I finally got here. The test is, <laughs> that's great. Back up. Let's go. <laughs> Not what I want to hear. <laughs> when things are going good, I want to stay as long as they stay good. Amen? There's something better. We can't settle for good. Okay? We can't settle for good, especially what our, what is good, what our flesh feels as good. So next, they go to the wilderness of Sin. And by this time, it says it's the 15th day of the second month. So where does that put us in timeline? It means... One month earlier, the 15th of Nisan would have been the Exodus day. So now you're one month in to there, into our Exodus, and there's no food. They're running out of food supplies. So first we had bitter water, ran out of water, bitter water. Now we've got no food. So... What does the Father do? He provides both manna and quail. And this isn't the part of the story where he says, I'm going to make them sick of it, and they're going to have so much in their mouths, and it's going to be a curse. No, this was, I'm going to give you some meat. And a very good thing, a positive. Later on, we we have, you know, a, a different story. So we get, maya, we get manna and we get quail. How much manna were you supposed to gather per person? And Omer, what are we counting every day? Why are we all counting it? Because we all need an Omer. During this, this is that journey. Now the manna did continue on for 40 years, but it didn't have to. Remember, manna could have gotten all the way to the point to where they entered the promised land. It would have stopped. So next stop, oh, the, the provision from yod the provision from Yahweh, was the lesson that we learned there. That we had to cry out to him and rely on him for a provision, for our physical provision. At this point, it was food, right? It was the quail. It was the manna. And the other thing he did for them here with the picture of the omer and collecting the manna is he had to teach them Shabbat. Right? This was the you will gather twice as much on the sixth day and there won't be any on the seventh day. He used supernatural provision to try to ingrain quickly what that Shabbat was about. Because that was going to be very important. Because as soon as you say all that you say, we will do. You'll notice that actually all these tests they're going through, even though they grumbled and complained, the father was never 
outright angry. He didn't put plagues on them. He did not chastise and punish them. He was very loving. They said, we're hungry, and they grumbled out. And he said, okay, Moses, tell them to go collect in the morning. There'll be some food out there. There's going to be quail coming. This was a very loving father. This is a time that it is testing, it's refining us, all this stuff. But it's under the care of a very loving father. This is not a, there's no whip involved in this. Now you get to the 40 years in the wilderness with the rebellious generation, there's a whole lot of chastisement and plagues and all kinds of ugly stuff that happened. But that's not the part we're in. We're in the 50, not the 40. So then they go on to Rephidim. Again, instead of bitter waters, there's no water. And so what what does the Father do? What does Yahweh do? Moses, take that stick you're carrying, go over to this little rock, and strike the rock. Strikes the rock. I forgot all the, I know there's lots of people that did all the stats and how many Israelites there were and how many, how much water it would have taken to feed all the flocks of the people and all that stuff. I don't have any of that here, but it was a lot. Also, while they were there, Amalek attacked. And what did we get out of that? The father says, blot out the name of Amalek from generation to generation, or I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. We're also joined by Jethro. There's a little bit of a family reunion kind of a a picture there on this journey. So that means to me there's gathering. So as we're going in righteousness, the father may restore some of those things that were lost, maybe in the family member side, to bring us back together. Never give up hope. And then finally, they encamped at the mountain, ready for that point of sealing where the covenant is. So the testing, I said, this is testing, training, and refining. So what's the answer to the test? It is, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your Elohim and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. That is the answer. And the other part is to attach that with faith that he will provide everything we need. He cares for you. He cares for me. He cares for all of us. Why does he have to bring us out of bondage? Because we can't walk with those chains. We can't move. We can't climb that mountain with that baggage. We can't do any of that stuff. I felt strongly, too, about the marks for many months has been, it's been on his heart about unforgiveness. And what I, I know, I don't know if this audience here live or those that are live streaming at some point, unforgiveness is bondage to the person who has been hurt. The person who is hurt that holds that grudge, they are the one in bondage. And the Father can't move you how he wants to move you 
as fast as he needs to move you if you're carrying around a ball and chain. And I'll tell you, you can be in bondage right now to unforgiveness for someone who is no longer physically on this earth. If you have some sort of a bondage to a parent, a grandparent, a family member who abused you, who hurt you, or somebody who's not even here anymore, that forgiveness is no different than the forgiveness with me and another person directly in front of me that I have a relationship with. That has to be gone because that will absolutely 100% stifle your walk and your growth. See, Satan puts a thing in us and our feelings that by holding back forgiveness, it is somehow punishing another person. And it's actually the exact opposite. It's putting a burden, it's putting chains on you that you were never designed to carry. We can't carry that and keep walking. That is too much weight. So why do we count the Omer? If you got your Bibles, open up to Leviticus 23. And if you, if you mark up your Bibles, I probably have a, a few corrections you want to add because I don't think I saw any English Bibles that had it right. I could be wrong. I didn't check any of like the... Uh, um, the new Jew, I don't know, in testing. Just, I just looked at some of the, the common uh, Christian Bible translations. So we're going to talk about the first fruits of the barley, right? We know about this. When we go through the Holisha with her creation gospel, running these patterns of sevens, right? We start off here with Pesach, right? What's the next? This is all Leviticus 23. Starts with the Passover, well... It starts, the, the Sabbath is the first of all your feasts, then you're to Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits of the barley, Shavuot, Pentecost, center shaft, then we get into Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, we get into Yom Kippur, and finally we get into Sukkot, right? So that's that pattern we have. So working through that, out of all those I just mentioned, which one seems weird? First fruits of the barley, right? So all the rest are, are things we're doing, things we're doing. This is like, a, it's just like a, it's an offering. It's a special offering. So if you're there, we're going to start in verse 9. So we've already, so if you're, before that, I so said we just talked about the Sabbath. We just talked about the Scripture talked about the, uh, the Passover and unleavened bread. So now we're going into that first fruits. And it says, And yod spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you to reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest 
and he shall wave the sheaf before Yodhe so that you may be accepted. Where I say sheaf, does anybody have a different translation? Yep, so Arnold's got it right. What it should say is when you come into the land that I give you to give you and reap his harvest, you shall bring the omer of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the omer before yod so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and on the day when you wave, it should say, the omer, you shall offer one male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to yod and a grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to yod with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So you may want to put a note there that everywhere it said sheaf or something like sheaf, it's actually omer. And that will help us tie why we're counting an omer. Because this is actually why, this is when we start the count, is exactly when this omer is is brought. When you read the sources, when you go into the commentary and, and read about these different things, this is straight up, they call it, this is just, this is the omer offering. We call it first fruits of the barley. They'll, they'll call it it's the Omer offering. Now it's talked about I can't eat uh, baked or parched. This is uh, from another uh, uh, Jewish source that it was forbidden to eat or even reap any newly grown crops of the five species of grain. That would in wheat, barley, oats, rye, and spelt before harvesting the Omer. Now this is kind of this is very interesting. So if you go back to we've we've talked a lot about some of the uh, in temple times of how the fanfare or what would have been done during these special times, right? There's we, we talk a lot during Sukkot. We talk about Hoshana Rabbah and going down and waving the palm, the the willows, and going and getting the water and the wine and going right. There's a lot of that stuff. So going back to here. I'm about to read you, this is what uh, Maimonides, which would be the Rambam, talked about. He says, unique among the offerings of the temple, the Omer offering was brought with great fanfare. And this is how Maimonides described it. He said, on the first, on the day before the festival of Passover, the agents of the court would go out to the field and tie the barley into bundles while it was still attached to the ground so that it would be easy to reap. You get that picture? Going out to the field, they know how much, they gather together, they tie them. They're already starting to bind them together. On the evening after the first day of Passover, which we call the first day of unleavened bread, all of the inhabitants of all the neighboring villages, this is not just, this this is a big deal. Everybody's gathering together. They would gather together so it would be reaped with much flourish. 
they would have three men reap three seahs, which altogether would equal one ephah of barley into three baskets with three sickles. And there was a big thing, so the Holesis taught about this. They basically would get together, and they have this thing, and they'll say, has the sun set? And the people would answer, yes. Has the sun set? Yes. Has the sun set? Yes. Saying that, what does it look like outside at this point? It's dark. It has just become dark when this reaping happens, when those first fruits are removed. Then it will say, with this sickle, they would say, yes. With this sickle, yes. With this sickle, yes. Threes. That resurrection, once again, harvesting, gathering, a resurrection. You see, getting a pattern. They'll say, in this basket, yes. In this basket, yes. In this basket, yes. If it happened to be a Shabbat, they would say, uh, on this Shabbat, on this Shabbat, on this Shabbat. And then finally, they would say, should I reap? And they would typically answer, reap. It was time. After the reaping, they would bring the barley to the temple courtyard where they beat, winnowed, and roasted the kernels over the fire in the cylinder. Now realize, most of these kernels, this would be green stuff they would be pulling, a lot of moisture in there. So they would roast it real quick to pull some of that moisture out. The kernels were then spread out of the temple courtyard, and the wind wafted through it. The barley was then brought in to a mill and ground to produce three seahs, which is one ephah, which is about six and a half gallons. You want to kind of have an idea of measurement. And after it had been sifted with 13 sifters, an omer, an omer, or one-tenth, was removed. This omer of fine barley was flour that was taken, mixed with oil, and a handful of frankincense was placed upon it. It was waved in the eastern portion of the temple courtyard in all four directions, up, down, right, and left. It was then brought close to the tip of the southeast corner of the altar, like all the other meal offerings, and a handful of the meal was taken and offered on an altar's pyre. The remainder of it was eaten by the priests, like the remainder of all the other meal offerings." Everything here, there's a lot of fanfare about harvesting grain. I'm going to skip forward real quick. Where's the end of 50, the, the 50 Levis? Shavuot. What are, what's the big fanfare? What's the big ceremony in Shavuot? Two loaves of bread. Okay. I don't want us to fall into the, we've kind of, I've seen over the years a lot of stuff of like, well, yeah, the first fruits of the barley is the first, there's first fruits all the time. There's the first fruit of the wheat, there's the first fruit of the, of the stuff. Every, every festival time, there's some sort of a first fruits coming on there. Well, there's a reason that this one is listed in Leviticus 23, because it is truly about the first fruits, it is about reaping. Shavuot, you can read through all the liturgy and what all they did at the temple. They didn't care much a lick about harvesting anything at Shavuot. 
It was about the bread. It was the finished product. What is barley primarily? Cattle food. It's not primarily man's food. We can eat it. We can have some barley stuff, but it's not primarily ours. What is the staff of life? Bread made from wheat, right? Evil in our generation, but <laughs> but it's made from wheat. At Shavuot, what was that bread made out of? Wheat. So we start off at the beginning of the 50 with beast food. And we end up, through the refining process, we end up with man food. That's the process. He wants to bring us from our beastly natures, our normal, our flesh. He wants to refine us and bring us into the man or the woman that he has created us to be. But there's also another thing, a piece of that that's not... uh, not common. Remember we talked about, what did we just get out? The leaven, right? We've got out all the leaven, and leaven typically represents sin, but not always. This is another time of that not always, because it says, Leviticus twenty three sixteen through 17, the end of this 50, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From that day you brought the Omer, of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to Yodhevave. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made with two tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as the first fruits to Yodhevave. So as men, just like the parable says, a little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the idea that the kingdom expands or the kingdom should be expanding. If we are man and we've got all that beast out of there, what's expanding is a good thing. If, we have, if we're leavening our beast nature, we're leavening our flesh, that's going to produce sin and bad fruit. So to make bread, you have to take grain and you have to grind it into flour. You have to mix it with leaven and a starter and you have to add water. Then when you make it all into that nice dough and it rises and all that, I'm not the, I'm not the bread maker. I've got a few of the bread makers out here. What do you got to do after that? You got to put her in the oven. That's not comfortable. But that's what finishes us out. We have, to feed, we have to go through some heat to get from the beast to the man. So the journey is to shed our beast nature and become what Adonai has chose us to be. And real quick, I just want to make a tie-in here because Holise has been really... She's had something in her craw about the father has been laying something into her about the days being shortened. She's still digging a lot of this out. She's really trying to, and she's putting out a little bit of what she's finding. 
but it's still like something that's really the Father's got on her. But it ties into what we just talked about. It just tied into this first fruits, this Omer offering. If you go to if Matthew 24, beginning in verse 15. We've all, we've all read this. this. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Let me pause there for a second. How long... Did the Israelites in Egypt know that they were going to be delivered? A long while, right? It's like you saw the plague. You said it was building and building and building and it's going to happen. But it still states that when they were pulled out, when they were harvested, that they didn't have any provisions for the journey. You see the idea here too? Don't worry about what you have in your house. Pray that your flight not be in winter on the Sabbath. Or sorry, alas, for the women who are pregnant, for those nursing infants in those days. That can be a picture of immature believers that are still trying to figure things out that aren't committed yet, that are still wavering between two opinions. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, and will never be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That's the primary thing that's... What's bugging Holisa? The big thing with... Uh, uh, Holisha's taught us Rashi is, is classic that Rashi, when he does the commentary on the Torah, he's seeing all these little anomalies in the scripture, in the Hebrew, and that's the things he's bringing up all the time in his commentary. That's why it's so widely used. And there's a book saying, what's bugging Rashi? So this is what's bugging Holisha at this point, that the days will be cut short. It's thought that the righteous will be sealed at Shavuot, and enter in at Yom Teruah, right? We got that pattern. We know that the... But we don't have to wait until Yom Kippur. I'm sorry. It's thought that the righteous are sealed at Shavuot and enter in at Yom Teruah, but don't have to wait through the 10 days of Ah till Yom Kippur. So what happens at Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, we open the gates. Once the gates are open, there's nothing stopping you from entering in if you're ready. So when those gates open, we should be whoop right in there, right? We shouldn't be like, well, hold on, i got a couple more things I have to play with. So they see the 10 days of awe actually is really for what they call the intermediates. We would call them lukewarm. Those who are not fully committed, those who aren't fully awake, they believe that's what that, that's what that grace is for, to get those. Those who are awake, those who are aware, when those gates open, 
They'll go in. We know that the coronation of the king happens when? Yom Teruah. That's when Yeshua will be crowned king, a day that we eagerly await for. But if we are awake, our eyes are opened, and we're committed to Yeshua and the Torah, we may need to be ready for a pre-gathering. Remember how they tied the bundles together? What's happening right now, in, especially in the Hebrews communities? People are getting put on their hearts to start some communities, to gather people together. There is a gathering happening. The Father, I believe, is starting to tie those bundles together in the field. The rabbis, and this is all from stuff Holisa has brought forth uh, over the past months. The rabbis saw, foresaw what, he, what they described as little flocks being gathered in the wilderness. You equate the little flocks to the bundles, the little bundles being tied together. They see a time where it's going to get really tough out there, and they, have a, they see a time where the righteous that you will be unable to remain and practice righteousness in the society that you're in, that you will be basically pushed into. Not that we're going to run away, but actually you'll be pushed into a spot to where the little flocks will be gathered before there is a greater gathering of the little flocks together, that greater exodus. So the reaping, the gathering of the little flocks is, is, is done at the beginning of the day, like we mentioned, which is the beginning of the dark. So even though it's getting dark, I don't know if that's a pattern that we may need to be ready at the be as it starts to get dark, there may be a movement, there may be a gathering, there may be a, a displacement or something with the little flocks. But there's more darkness to come, right? If you're doing it at the beginning of the day, the, the, the biblical day, there's a lot more darkness after the beginning, right, before it gets light. <clears throat> so they saw, Rabbi saw a lot of this happening beginning with a worldwide plague. Interesting. And the worldwide plague starts a Shemitah cycle, or say, it's, it's, sorry, the worldwide plague happens before the beginning of a Shemitah cycle. So, what are we fixing to start a Shemitah cycle? We're finishing, finishing ours, so we're still here. And it says what they foresaw is in the first year that was stated in Amos four seven. I will bring rain in one town, and on one town I will not bring rain, will be fulfilled. That's a picture of famine, but it's not worldwide necessarily. It's spotty, regional. Maybe country to country will be having different issues. But also remember, famine is not just the crops won't grow. I mean, that 
the, the, definitely the cops don't grow, we don't have food, that's 100% of famine, right? That's the Egypt picture. But if you can't get food, that's still a famine. If you can't eat, you can't get for whatever supply chain, what, whatever the, the, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, there was 18 food distribution supply uh, buildings, plants, in the last six months have had major fires. Eighteen. One, a plane flew into it. I mean, come on. <laughs> so whatever reason causes the famine, it doesn't necessarily mean the rain's the, the, rain's the parable, but it doesn't mean it's actually physical rain. could be, but it can be other things as well. They see the second year as the arrows of famine will be sent forth against it. This is where they see it spreading where nobody is escaping. This is, this is when you're, you know, all right, Yeshua, I'm ready. Come on. Come catch me. I'll give you help. I'll, give you help. I'll, I'll jump. Right? This is probably when there's going to be a lot of panic start to be setting in, with our, especially with our Christian brothers and sisters who have a parable of a rapture that they'll be saved from everything instead of the parable of Noah that you'll be protected through it. Right? Exactly. Just like the Red Sea. It doesn't mean it's not going to be scary and it's not going to be a little tough, but guess what? I know I could probably use a little less of some things, personally. But it's not fun. Because <laughs> I like my chocolate. I'll get a few amens, I'm sure. But it's okay, I won't die. Then they see the third year where there will be a great famine in which men, women, and children will perish. And pious people of good deeds will become few, and the Torah will be forgotten from Israel. Yes, there'll be a lack of a word. Hearing, yeah. There'll be a lack, but they're saying that they see like this great famine. This will be like the one of the peaks. This will be the peak of everything. Third year. It was thought for the children of Israel, the first glimpses of the new world will be seen in the last four years. This is all, this is actually, most of this out of uh, one of Holisa's newsletters. She said that, well, they said in the fourth year, there will be a famine still, but not a complete famine. A sufficiency, but not a complete sufficiency. And maybe this is not a general picture for all of the earth, but maybe just for those who are righteous, who are falling. You'll start to see breaks. Where there was nothing, all of a sudden, oh, wait, there's toilet paper over here. Toilet paper on my shelves, get shelves out. Oh, now they're not toilet paper for a while, right? Kind of, we've experienced some of that kind of spottiness, right? But what was, what was absolute desolation starts to come back with spottiness. We start to get a little bit here and there. In the fifth year, there will be great sufficiency, and the people will eat, drink, and rejoice, and the Torah will be restored to its original state and given anew to Israel. 
I don't think this is a pattern that the rest of the world is going to be seeing. That tribulation, the great tribulation turn, I think, is only for his people. It says, in the sixth year, there will be sounds of redemption. In the seventh year, the sabbatical year, there will be wars. Like Gog and Magog. And, and then in the aftermath of the seventh year, the eighth year, the the son of David will come. So this is, this is their words. This is not a Christian theologian. And it's really lining up with a lot of stuff we're seeing. Amen? But the idea is that, I'll give you one more little nugget, and I don't know, I can't say the, what the pattern is. We go back, we talked about the, the Omer offering, right? The first fruits of the barley. When, we, when was that offered? Right. So, if it, counting the way we count, the, the 14th at twilight is Passover. The 15th is the first day of unleavened bread. And the 16th, what it would be, is when this first fruits happens. Where was Israel on the 16th? At Sukkot. The first stop, the first stop after they left Ramesses, they journeyed to Sukkot. Are you seeing a picture, an alternate path for maybe the righteous that are being brought through a different thing? That we're going on the path of the 50, not the 40. We're going through the refinement. We are going to be at the mountain, and we, and I believe, Lisa believes this, and I, I agree with her. I think we, too, are going to have to, just like Joshua, before they went to the problem, all this stuff, we're going to have to have that circumcision ourselves at that point that we will hear and we will do. There will be a covenant proclaimed to us, and we will be sealed before we go into the next step. So we don't have to necessarily go around with the rest of the world, because when he is proclaimed on Rosh Hashanah, when he's proclaimed on Yom Teru and coronated, I believe we're already going to be there with him. We're not going to wait for that time. We will be his flock. There's still a lot of people, though, that are going to be wavering, and there's a lot of grace out there for that and time for repentance and time for them to get on board. But that doesn't have to be for us. If we're awake, I said the strong man, the thief can't take what's in your house if you're awake. It's when you slumber, as the parable said. So we need to be ready for we need to be ready in the spring feast and in the fall feast. Our bundles, our flocks may be isolated for a time. It may get really dark just before we are harvested. But let's diligently count the omer and be led, taught and refined by the holy one. And let's stay tightly knit together, uplifting one another. Shabbat Shalom. Redeemer of Zion. The glory of the Lord.